Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Tuesday, Tuesday, March 22nd, and it's it's still basketball, still NBA is going on. It's almost it's almost over, folks. It's almost we're almost there. Uh, we, well, we have a four game slate tonight, uh, which I don't know how much we could talk about it. We have a uh, Randall. Randall just got ruled out today, so obviously it's uh, it's Knicks. It's Knicks cheap. We get Barrett topping Burks. Something like that happened today. Who knows what'll happen with the, the the other the other games? Yesterday we had a nine game slate, and if it, <laughs> I always say it. We talked about the slate at 11 a.m. Everything I would have said would just got thrown out by the end of it because the people were out left and right. There were 8 million value plays, and uh, and we'll go over that. But uh, as always, first thing through the door, hit that thumbs up button. Give me those thummy thumbs. Smash the thumbs up button, the subscribe, the like button, the, the bell. There's a bell there. Just don't hit the X button out on your window. That's the only button. Don't, don't tap that one. That closes everything out. So don't do that. Uh, and uh, and if you have any questions, have any comments, this is your show. Remember, I just I, I show up here in the morning, especially for basketball, or what can we talk about on today's slate, uh, and answer your DFS strategy questions. So if you have anything about about uh, the general game theory uh, in DFS uh, and, uh, and and the tools here at Roto Grinders like Lineup HQ, uh, just just ask away. That I, I show you the exact stuff that I use. So like I'm fully I'm fully transparent. I eat my own dog food. So if you have anything to ask about our stuff here, you could always you could always get our, our premium content, our premium tools, rotogrinders.com slash premium. Click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. I see Suki Singh here as usual, early as usual. Matt Mears, Mike B, Masher, Peter Pan. Peter Pan's here. Peter Pan's here. Okay. Uh, another another thing uh, I, I, I mentioned, I mentioned at least once a week, that uh, if you if you're a premium member of Roto Grinders, you get access to our premium Discord. <coughs> now you can get into our Discord for nothing. There are free channels in there, and uh, th- that's where the cheap people hang out and they they talk amongst themselves. I don't know what they do in there, <coughs> but uh, but our experts, our analysts, and everything are are in our premium premium channels. And I have one of my own called Blenders Game Theory, where it's all. If you want to ask questions about game theory, DFS strategy, that's where to go. If you want. Access to me, that is that is the channel to go to. And uh, and I do mostly weekly. I say weekly. It's about once a week, a Zoom coaching call. So it's like you, you have a, me as a private coach. Private, private coaching for DFS. Uh, to, not, no extra fee, no nothing. And you just want to get on Zoom, get on video, ask away, whatever conference would share your screen, go over process, roto tracker anything anything you want to explain excel stuff who knows uh and uh and they'll the, the next one is tonight 8 p.m eastern uh and the link is always posted in that in that channel for, for the zoom call it's a group setting so it's 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 private coaching but it's kind of like it's kind of like going to going to an aa meeting right right it's like a little we have a little coffee thing there and there's like maybe 20 people huddled around and then you take turns and you go like oh i I could talk to someone for a half an hour, 45 minutes. You know, that's why I move the times and days around just just to, to hit people that can't make it on certain nights, certain times of the day. Uh, so if you want to join Roto Grinders Premium, that's 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 a perk. That's a membership perk. Uh, although, obviously, you could watch this show and uh, ask anything you want in the YouTube chat. But if you want if you want more, more, more private, more, more individualized 
coaching. That would be the way to go. And we don't record any of the of the sessions at all. Because so, so you feel like you know you could you could open up and be 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 honest, realistic, and we go over stuff. So so either you either be there or be square, because uh, you ain't gonna see it anywhere else. You got kickstart here in the morning. Uh also, oh let's give it, let's give a shout out to Dean. He did it. He did it finally, he did it. Dean did it. Dean did Dean had Dean won like 27,000 or something. I don't know what other contest he had this lineup in. Uh he won the four-point play yesterday for what was that 10,000 the 20 max uh but he had it in some other stuff so i think he, he put in like five six hundred and got out like twenty eight thousand or something uh so so congratulations to dean go check him out on grinders live later today and and greg and if he shows up to work who knows no he will right he's been doing this a long enough time that he can go in anywhere uh but i mean it's it's a lineup very similar to the lineup that i would have built now i played on FanDuel yesterday so obviously this is slightly different. So I played 150 on FanDuel. I noticed yesterday on FanDuel, their 150 max $9.99 tournament had a much flatter payout structure than I'm accustomed to on FanDuel. I, I opened that up and when I saw it was 50,000, 30,000, 20,000, 12,000, you know, 8,000, 6,000, like it, it's not like 100,000, 30,000, 10,000. And by the time you get to 10th place, it's $600 or something. Right. Once I saw that, I'm like, OK, I don't, I don't mind putting in 150. Right. And normally I'd put in like, you know, 50 to 75, something like that. Uh, but uh, but 150, it's OK. It's flat enough that, you know, if I get a decent amount of good lineups, I could actually come out with a profit. And uh, that's what happens. Right. I, I, I had a lineup in 26th. I had a lineup in 27th. But I had enough lineups in that, you know, I, I made two or three hundred bucks or something. Uh, I, I had a shot at the top. If, uh, if, if if certain players, if certain blowouts didn't happen, I I had good lineups on FanDuel. Uh, a lot of it was down to Shake Milton. Shake Milton, 7.9% down, 3,100. He scored, uh, what, 39.25 points. Uh, Maxi did better than Harris. But, uh, but yeah, I was, play, I was playing at least one 176-er in, uh, in all my lineups, uh, especially on FanDuel, where, I mean, Harris was 5,500. Maxi was 5,200. Milton was 2% owned on FanDuel, but that's primarily because he was minimum price. And it's with all the value on the slate, you, like, what, do, you, do you even need a $3,500 play? He didn't, right? Everyone, everyone was cheap enough to fit every, everyone you possibly wanted in. Uh, but uh, Shake Milton, obviously, with a uh, hardened out, with Embi- I mean, he had a hardened and Embiid out. So essentially, all the minutes and all the usage are gone. So it just came down to like, well, who else do they have in their in their backcourt, right? Isaiah Joe, how much is he going to play? So like, Shake Milton was obviously going to come off the bench and play a ton, and uh, and with no Embiid or Harden to deal with, you know, when he's when he's out there, even with no Maxi or no Harris in the lineup, he's probably, he's probably a 30 percent usage player. So like, for thirty one hundred, give it a shot, give it a shot, high usage guy probably uh, getting 28 to 32 minutes minimum, something like that. We had Grant Williams in the starting lineup, right? We had Marcus Smart was out. We had uh, Marcus Smart and uh, Robert Williams was out. So Boston was running with like, like what, an eight-man rotation or something? So you had uh, Derek White, uh, had Grant Williams, and at, uh, you know, 38 points for 3,400. That's, I mean, I mean, take a look at this lineup. This is... I mean, you don't even need Rui Hachimura. I mean, yeah, he scored 29 at 3,900, which is a great value also. 
Chris Boucher, forty-eight hundred. He scored thirty-nine points. It's like you had you had so many you had so many ways of uh, of getting high scores. You, I think you probably needed. Did you need Garland? Do you need? Did you probably needed Porzingis? Maybe it's hard to tell because I was I was used to Fanduel uh, yesterday. So taking a look here, like Derek, like Derek White was the most owned, but you didn't need him. But he still appeared in nearly two and over two thirds of the top one percent lineups. But if we go by points, like you didn't, like I think you could have you could have won without LeBron, based on how salaries are. Like you could have won without Valanciunas. You needed you needed several of these players. Like you didn't need Trey Mann. Like Trey Mann was two percent was one point six percent owned. And he scored almost 10x, 51 points. I mean, if you had him instead of Darius Garland, you would probably had a decent good lineup also because you have all the salary savings. So if we go to the leaderboard, uh, was there a lineup that did not have, like this one has Porzingis, Garland, James, right? If we go down over here, see, here's a Trey Mann lineup. So LeBron's not even in this lineup. He scored 71 points and he came in second. Right, because of Trey Mann, because of the 1.6% on Trey Mann and the 4.9% on Jonas Valanciunas. Right, we go over here. Right, Nick Claxton had a pretty good game, right, for 4,000. Right, we look at this. Right, I don't say here's LeBron, here's Garland. I don't see Porzingis. Third place without Porzingis. Then we go down over here. Right, Niang's had, Niang even had a good game. He had a 7Xer for, uh, for 2.6% owned. Peyton Pritchard, right? You could, I mean, you, there were several guys in these ranges that you could have gotten 30, 30 points from around, right? Here's a three Celtics, three 76ers lineup. Porzingis, James, done. Seems, seems pretty easy to me, right? Let's go down over here. Ben McLemore, like, like CJ Ellaby. <coughs> CJ Ellaby goes on, and he's 37 points for 42-1. You pair that together, you get Durant and James in for raw points. This lineup didn't even need, I mean, this lineup doesn't have Garland, right? Got to 369.75. So it's fifth place without Garland. This is the four-point play. Let's go to the fadeaway. Four-point play is a big, yeah, it's on virtually the same size field. One's 29.7, this is 31.3. So it shouldn't be that dramatic of a difference. Right, Donk Bowler. Oh, it was a split? Was it a, oh, no, by a quarter of a point. A quarter of a point. Uh, so Don Bowler had uh, Pokashevsky. Okay. I mean, they, you didn't really need him, right? But Christian Wood at 3%. Yeah, that, that'll do it. Right. Chris Wood, Garland, LeBron, Shake Milton at 7%. Right. Even Derek White, who, you know, 34 for, for 4,700 isn't bad. Right. It's still a flame emoji. That's all you needed. There were, there were enough players in the single-digit own that put up enough points that a combination like this could work. <clears throat> Here's Killian Hayes. I played a ton of Killian Hayes. It wasn't on purpose on FanDuel. Uh, I, I had Killian Hayes overall as the most under-owned player on the slate on FanDuel. Uh, I think it was, it was 4% owned on FanDuel. Uh, and that led to uh, so much stuff was happening yesterday. People are in, people are out. Who knows? game time decisions, whatever the hell's going on, right? Kuzma's out. This guy's out. We have Olenek and, and whoever the hell on the Pistons is that it was going, it was, it was so chaotic that uh, I didn't have the, the, the most amount of time 
to uh, at the end to sort out my lineups. So I, 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 a lot of times, especially if I'm building 150, is that I build 300. I build 300 lineups uh, and then like weed out lineups that like I, I don't want at all. And then kind of like massage the exposures by deleting certain lineups. And uh, I was running out of time. I read, it was like, I, I, I got, I got my last 300 done. Like my last final. Okay. I like this. Okay. I'm changing stuff around 300, like at like five minutes before lock. So now I have to delete 150 lineups in order to get the 150 that I, that I want to play. And typically that process of deleting 150 probably takes me 10 minutes, right. To go through all of that. I don't have that time. I got like four minutes. So essentially I just, I lopped off the bottom 50 in projected points, right? I, t- I lopped off the top 50 in projected ownership. And then I just went to like a low owned player that I had a little too much of and deleted a whole bunch of that, deleted a whole bunch of that. And by the end of it, in 150, I had like 40% Killian Hayes, right? But I, I it's 6.59. I got to upload. I got to, I'm, I'm done. And then it's a seven o'clock game. So it's not like I could swap them out or anything. So I ended up on FanDuel with like 40% Killian Hayes and 25% Shake Milton. And Milton was 2.2% owned and Killian Hayes was 4% owned. Fortunately enough, they both did well. Milton did great. So that's why I, I, I made somewhat of a profit, right? Two or 300 bucks, right? You put in 1500, you get back like 1800, which is a good day. Most days you're losing like 20%. Like that's a normal day when you're a 150 max player. You're like, oh, if I could just if if I'm not going to be near the top, if I could just get back like 80% of my money, I'll be pretty happy, right? If 1500 turns into 1200, cost of doing business, right? So anytime that it's past there, I consider that I consider that to be a win, right? You don't you like I said, you lose 90% of the time. It's just what happens in the 10% of the time that you do win. As part of the 10% of the time, you're hoping one or two, three times during the season, you're up towards that. You're up in top five, right? All the other times is like, well, you got enough, you cashed enough, you got a couple in the top hundred and you come out, you know, with a, you know, a nibble, a couple of steak knives or something out ahead. So, so I was, I was happy with it. Uh, Mike B asks, is it weird to only have 45 players in your pool for a nine game slate? It doesn't matter how many players are in your pool. It doesn't matter, right? What, what players are you going to add? You're going to add a player that's only going to be projected for four minutes. No, you're not. They're probably not going to make lineups that are that are that are positive expected value. It doesn't matter how many players are in your pool. Player as many, put as many players in your pool as possible. You're trying to build good lineups. Just build good lineups. Don't people get people get so concerned about about settings and numbers and everything, and none of it matters. None of it. Zero. It matters absolutely. How many times can I say? Absolutely zero. It does not matter. I can I can put forty five players, and I'm gonna I'm gonna x out the top fifty projected players on this slate tonight for for, for a four game slate, and I'm gonna build with the other hundred players in my pool. Well, I'm probably <laughs> making horrible lineups, but I got a hundred players in my pool. Yeah, but they they produce lineups that project 30 points lower than everyone else's at, at, at 30% total ownership of like no, almost no ownership. Those lineups are horrible. It doesn't matter how many players are in your pool, right? I played a ton of Toby Harris on FanDuel. 
Okay. Doesn't mean I can't play a, two lineups with this guy, one lineup with that guy. As long as it's a plus EV lineup, I don't care. I really don't care. If you're, if you're playing more diverse, meaning you're less risk tolerant or more risk tolerant, what, what would you say? More risk tolerant? You want to reduce your risk. You're going to be a little bit more diverse in your portfolio of lineups. You still need to build good lineups. I'd much rather build one good lineup than 150 bad lineups, right? 150 bad lineups is a way to go broke really quickly. So it doesn't matter how many players are in your pool. For, t- for tonight's slate, for instance, on DraftKings, right? I could, pl- I, I could play, I could leave everyone in my pool, right? But you could also go team by team, right? I'd go team by team. Is there a point of having 10-minute Gary Bateman? It's, it, at a minus 14 salary adjusted value, is it, can he possibly, is he going to make any lineups of mine? No. So I probably don't need, I, he, he's not going to show up regardless of what I do. I would have to make, <laughs> I would have to make uh, 600,000 lineups before I get there. Right. So most likely he ain't showing up. Any, I can leave him in. It doesn't matter. Right. 16 minute Moses Moody. Right. I, I, I can leave him in. He's not going to show up in any decently projected lineups. Right. I, I look at Chicago. I go to Chicago and I go, oh, do I need Patrick Williams at 20 minutes? Do I need Kobe White at 19 minutes? Do I need Tristan Thompson at 15 minutes? Do I need DeSumno at, 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 at 25 minutes? Maybe not. He's minus six. That means every lineup you put him in, he's, his adjusted value goes down by six. And what's his ownership? Is it 2% that may, he may be over-owned at 2% on this slate, right? Something like that, based on the current projections, obviously, right? So I'm most likely going to play these four guys. If I choose to play guys from the, the Bulls today, it'd probably be Vucevic, DeRozan, Levine, and Garuso because they project well, right? They're, even if I didn't eliminate Javante Green down over here, I'm probably not going to get, I'm probably not going to get any Patrick Williams. I may, I mean, I may have to make 5,000 lineups before I get to a Kobe White lineup or a Tristan Thomas, Thompson lineup. Maybe DeSunmo shows up in the thousandth lineup. Javante Green, depending on how strong small smallward is today, maybe shows up at, you know, bottom 5% of lineups. I mean, I could leave them in. There are ways to, there are ways to build plus EV lineups with Javante Green. Look, all you have to do is lock them in, right? So let's let's go, let's go by uh this perspective. I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna put in the zeros. Our current projections, and I always have to say current because it's 11 in the morning and whatever, right? This is with Randall out. So on DraftKings, our top projected median optimal, Caruso, Burks, Barrett, Toppin, Wagner, Holland, Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Marcus Morris, right? Like this. Obviously, we didn't update ownership yet because Toppin's not going to be 0.06% owned. So 288.44 at this ownership, which is a little bit... A little bit misleading because the, the, the Knicks ownership is not updated. So 288.44. So if I go to if I go to Chicago and I go, well, if I want to play Patrick Williams for whatever reason, 3,500. Okay, remember, remember the top lineup. 288.44. If I play Patrick Williams, the best lineup that I could possibly make from a median perspective, 277.16. Right? And I'm probably playing high-owned guys anyway. Burks, Barrett, Toppin, right? Holiday is going to be owned. I mean, like, other than the fact that Patrick Williams is barely going to be owned at all. 
So basically, I'm getting a lineup that projects for 11 points lower. That doesn't really do much ownership-wise because the only guy that's pretty much low-owned here is the guy that projects for like 11 points, right? So the only way this lineup wins is if for some odd reason, Patrick Williams goes up for 40 and the chalk hits. So most likely this lineup that I'm making, it's 11 points under optimal at this owner. At this, it's too high ownership. This lineup had, doesn't have many paths to win. This would be a negative EV lineup. If I go to Javante Green in a small forward position and I just optimize, 282.24. So now I'm sacrificing six points, not 11, right? And I'm still playing most, I'm pretty much still playing the chalk, but he projects for a little bit better. So this, this would be, this may still be a minus EV lineup for a large field GPP because of the ownership being high. But at least he projects for more points to Patrick Williams. I mean, I he can, Javante Green can show up in plus EV lineups, right? But most likely Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic are going are gonna to make up lineups that are high. Remember, remember the goal of DFS. You want to make the highest projected lineups for the lowest amount of ownership, right? That balance. So what, pl- what players make up those types of lineups, right? Depending on the field size. If you're playing a small field, Hundred man field, you probably don't. You, you you can probably just never play the guys that are projected for, you know, un, under their salary adjusted value on the slate, right? In this level, probably not going to play Thompson, or I mean, you you don't need to. You shouldn't be sacrificing that much projection in such a small field contest. In a larger field contest, you don't you don't mind. You want to embrace the variance, but remember. These, these values, this RGV value, which is salary adjusted value plus minus. They, the amount of points plus or minus the player is expected median outcome versus what you would, what you would consider value, right? Making value for a player of that salary, right? So if Vucevic is plus 2.6 and his fantasy point projection is you know, median projection, remember median 50th percentile, median outcome is 41 points, right? That means if his, if his RGV, your salary adjusted value, plus minus, is three, and his median is 41, that means someone at 7,700 to make value would be 38 fantasy points. So to make value is 38 fantasy points, his median is 41, which means he is plus three of that number. So that's what this number means, right? And, and obviously it's a game of, I mean, we play a game of salary cap. You want to get as many points for 50K as possible. So you, you, you like players that project for higher than what they're expected to, you know, their salary is expected to score. Now, obviously ownership comes with that also, right? Because that, that's what everyone's doing, right? So most likely... The types of players that are going to be in your lineups are ones that project for higher, or at least in comparison to other players on the slate. Doesn't mean, oh, I can't play any of these negatives. Of course, he's just, you know, Javante Green is 3,500. He projects for 16 and a half. He's minus five or so, right? 4.93, minus five, right? So someone at 3,500 to make value needs to score like 21 and a half points. Well, his median projection is 16 and a half, okay? Which means about maybe maybe 35% of the time, 
he does score 21 and a half points, right? Because where that distribution curve, remember, all projections are, are distribution curves. No one's, pre- no one's predicting Javante Green to score 16 and a half points. All this means is that out of all of his ranges of outcomes, the 50th percentile is 16.5. So half the time, he'll score more than 16 and a half, and half the time he'll score under 16 and a half. That, that's what this number means when you're looking at a projection, okay? So obviously, there are more results on the bottom end of the curve based uh, compared to a salary, right? Because you would want 21.5 points to make value as, as, the, as your, your minimum for the, that amount of salary, which you, it could happen, but it's not going to happen 50% of the time, right? It'll happen 40% of the time, right? And you compare that to ownership and there you go. And how do you build lineups with all these types of players in there? So on a four game slate, you take a look and it's like most likely most of your lineups are going to contain players that are towards the top of this list. Barrett, Toppin, Burks, Giannis, Holiday, Jokic, Vucevic, Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris. You're going to have most of these guys. And then because it's a small slate, you probably have even Poole, Bogdanovich, Portis. I mean, oh, well, they're not as good value. But yeah, you're right. But it's only a four-game slate. You know, the opportunity cost is not that high. Nine-game slate, you're probably, there's probably, the the, the amount of green here on a nine-game slate is probably three times as much. So by the time you get to the 30th to 35th player in your player pool, if you want to call it that, do you need any more play? Did, should you, you're, you're getting similarly owned players for a slightly lower projection. And at that point, do you need those players anymore? Right. If you have, if you have a guy that, that is projected for, for, you know, our RGV salary adjusted plus minus of minus two, his median projection is 32 and he's going to be owned at 2%. And then the next guy is projected for two points lower, and he's also going to be like 2% owned. Or 1.2%, something, I mean, very low owned. Like, at that point, why are you sacrificing two, two more points in projection? Again, do, do they help your lineups anymore? Because most of your lineups, most of the lineup that you make, your, your eight players are going to be contained of these top, these top values. Salary adjusted values. So most likely you're not make you're not going to have lineups that have like multiple of these players. You're probably plus EV lineups will probably not contain uh, Cole Anthony and Clint Capella and Grayson Allen and Clay Thompson. Right? It may have one of these, maybe even two. Right? But probably not three or so. So how many of these players do you, do? When you get down to this level, it's like. Feel free to be more diverse if you want, but you're not really adding anything. You could add them to your pool. Instead of having one of those guys in five lineups, you'd rather have five guys in one lineup each. Either way, it wouldn't matter, right? If you, if you, want, if you want one in each, fine. But the lineup itself is not, the expected value of the lineup is probably not going to change. If you just plug and play 1v1s of, of fa- fairly poor projected players. So how many of them do you need to play? Blaze or whatever you want, but you're probably playing RJ. You're probably playing Knicks tonight. Probably not playing a lineup without Knicks as as of this moment, right? You never know. Giannis sits, Jokic sits. Who knows what happens? Who know? Who knows what the Warriors' starting lineup is? Who knows, right? I'm, we're talking at eleven o'clock in the morning. 
But if you're, but if you're, if you're, if you're building lineups correctly, you could leave. You don't have to exclude anyone or anything in your player pool because most, most likely at the very bottom, you're not getting those guys. You don't have to worry. Someone's that projected for 12 minutes. Worst case scenario, if you wanted to, we have a feature in here called the minimum fantasy points projection, right? So you could always put that in. To, that'll automatically exclude anyone underneath that minimum fantasy point. So like if you look, if you take a look up here and we, we sort by, by uh, RGV and you just take a look at the median, median projection here. And you go, what, what's the, what's the, what's the player that, that is the lowest? Maybe I can play some Pat Connaughton, Jericho Sims. I have no idea who that is, but is he going to play 21 minutes? Maybe I do play him. So his projection is 17.47, right? So I go, I go through here. It's like, what's the, what's the lowest, the lowest guy, Javante Green. Can I, can I play some Javante Green? Let's, let's, let's use that as an example, right? Let Javante Green is our cutoff. Right. Or even Jeff Green, even one of the Greens is a cutoff. Let's say he's like, I don't want to play anyone worse projected than Javante Green. That's six point sixteen point five seven. You could just go right in here into the build rules and just put that in. Sixteen point five seven. I sixteen. Can't do the points. Right. Which means anyone that's projected for lower than sixteen points won't be included in any lineups, right? So you don't have to worry. Someone, some random person gets thrown in. It's, it's, it's unlikely that that happens anyway, unless you're building a lot, a lot of lineups and you're building a lot of lineups and you're using a lot of unique players and you have a certain threat, like, like yeah, and it, you're using 30% randomness for whatever godforsaken reason. Like you're most likely not getting the guys underneath that anyway. But if you want to do it at a safety, right? You could always just set that number over there. Me personally, I, I, I'm just so used to, since I was more of a hand builder before using optimizers, I'm used to just saying, well, I'm building 10 lineups by hand and probably I'm not playing a, a bunch of these players. So like, let me choose at least so I can visually look at what players are available to me as I hand build my lineups. So that's what the process that I'm used to. It doesn't matter. It's just more for the sake of ease for me. That it's a, it's a, I could go through and what I would do is I exclude all the players. So I go team by team and I do this. You don't need to do this. I do this out of, out of uh, efficiency for me, right? That I, I know all my ducks are in order, right? So I'll go to the excluded tab and I'll go to, to go to someone like Chicago, for instance. And I'll go, okay, I'm excluding all these players. And then I look and see, Okay, what size fields am I in, right? If I'm playing smaller field stuff, I, I definitely don't need any of these guys, right? But if I'm in larger field stuff, maybe I would consider a 25-minute green or a 25-minute to some, right? So maybe I do. Maybe, maybe I do put these guys back in. And now I can go to my old tab and go, okay, now based on this, are there any groups that I need? Should I be playing Caruso and DeSunmo together? Probably not. I mean, on a four-game slate, you technically you can because it's a smaller slate, and the the the, the line is a, a little bit uh, right because I mean the Sunmo could put up you know twenty points and still be in the optimal line. Uh, do 
do I want to play DeRozan and Levine together because their salaries are both expensive, right? So I could look and now, now I could put together whatever groups I would want to make. And then I would go to Milwaukee, right? On the other side of the game and go, okay, who do I play here? I guess I, uh, yeah, probably up down to Gracie, right? That These guys down here aren't going to make, like, dude, if, if I would have left them in, they're probably not making any lineups. But I'm using the word probably because, remember, if I'm building 300 lineups, I'm doing a lot of stuff. Maybe I get a, a one Abaka line. And maybe it's not, it's not positive EV. And I, it gets stuck in there somewhere, right? Maybe there's one Jordan War line, lineup in the process of me doing everything. If I just leave them excluded, I just don't have to worry about it, right? It's unlikely to happen, but the 1% of the time it happens, I don't even have, I don't have to worry about it. So then I'll go back on Milwaukee and say, okay, are there any groups that I need to make here, right? Is there any, is there any groups where I'm like, I'm running someone, if I play Giannis, play at least one of, you know, whatever, if I wanted to do that. Just gives it, I'm able to go game by game and then think through how these lineups should be looking like. Should I be playing DeRozan and Levine together? Should I be playing this and that to, you know, like just whatever. And then only those people are in, are in the pool. Now some doesn't mean I'm going to get much grace and Allen. I may get zero. I may end up getting no grace and Allen, but he's in there. Right. He projects well enough. I mean, he doesn't project well, but for a four game slate, uh, he plays, he plays enough minutes that who knows, who knows what happens, but that's what I, I do it more out of like, it's, it's a comfort factor, but I could just leave. I could just include everyone most likely the guys that are really horribly projected are never showing up dja dog 3k would you say it's worth aggregating projections or is the projections from all sources close enough where it won't give much of an edge well the difference in nba is just that depending on uh the the projection models themselves are are fairly close the models, but remember, there are inputs into the model. So one site, we may have uh, OB Toppin projected for 30 minutes, right? Another site may have them projected for 28 minutes. And those two minutes go to someone else, go to who's on the Knicks today, right? And maybe they change throughout the day, but we take a look, right? Taj Gibson, we have for 14 minutes. Jericho Sims for 21 minutes. Obi Toppin for 30 minutes. Another site could just go like Obi Toppin 28. Uh, Taj Gibson 18. Right? So I have to give four. I have to give two more minutes to Jericho 23. Well, obviously, that's going to change the number, right? And giving more minutes. More or less minutes is obviously going to raise or lower their median projection. So it's like the model in and of itself is fine, but the minutes may be different. And even just off by one minute will cause a slight, you know, differential. Instead of Obi Top, we may have Obi Top in at 25.8. Another site may have him at 24.2. Another site, another model may have him at uh, 27.8. It's like, it's not the model, it's the inputs. So we have a projections team. We have Andy Means. We have Noto. We have Tuttle. We have Allen. We have Bob Reeves. We have SBK. We have Jamino in there, right? That, that's what they're doing. They're adjusting minutes and usage and rates and all that type of stuff. Predicting rotations, 
when starting lineups change, they'll, they'll, they'll adjust that. So that would be the difference from site, from site to site or model to model. But the actual model in and of itself of once you input the minutes and the rates are, are fairly, are, are similar, are similar enough that it wouldn't matter. If, if every projection source had the same minutes and rates and one model has slightly it weighs defensive efficiency a little little like a little more than another one right it, it, that's that is the stuff that probably doesn't matter but the projection is going to change based on the minutes and the rates so unless you unless you could put in your own put in if you wanted to you're building i mean you could put in your own minutes you can't put in the rates into a lineup hq but you could if you want that would be the difference so you're not you're not comparing you're not really comparing models. You're just comparing inputs. In NFL, right? Do I think so-and-so wide receiver is going to have a 24% target share? Well, I may think he has a 24% target share. Another person may go, no, he's only going to have a 22% target share, which means his median projection is going to go down by like 0.6 or something, right? So that would be the difference. So if you think you have an edge like that, like someone like Petty Theft, he does his, all his own minutes and, and rates. And that's where he believes his edges, which from uh, from past five plus years of history, seems like it's true, right? That he's, he's better at predicting the rotations and the minutes and all that type of stuff, much better than anyone else in the industry. But his actual model is not that much different than, than our model, than any other site's model. But he's the type of, he's, maybe, he, maybe he goes, no, Toppin's going to be playing 36 today. Like I, I know I, I, I'm right. It could be that. And then you bump down Taj Gibson, you bump down Jericho Sims, right? If you give Obi Toppin 36 minutes, then, you know, dude, he's projected for almost 10 X. You basically jam him into almost all your lineups, if not all of your lineups, but you maybe go now, then I don't think they're going to run Toppin out. They're going to play 24 minutes, right? That that's the difference. So we have a team that does that. Right, that that knows basketball way more than I do. But a lot of times, you know, we're getting towards the end of the NBA season. People are out, and they got rookies and rotation. Who knows? Teams are tanking. So these 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 even the minutes are median numbers. Okay, let's see what else in the YouTube chat. I didn't expect to answer this many questions in the YouTube chat, so that that's fine. I I enjoy this, right? As long as they're good questions. Uh. MJC, is there any advantage of building 150 max using an optimizer versus three max versus hand build? Thought process is the 150 max would be better shot at first. Am I? I don't know. I don't even understand the question. There's no difference. There's, there's any advantage? I, I still don't even understand. Is there any advantage on on? You need to go to the store, okay? It seems like I, uh, the reason I, I, I sound so patronizing because it's the same people asking the same stupid fucking questions, okay? Uh, I need to go to the store. I have a Kroger down here, okay? What would, be, what would be the advantage of me walking or driving, okay? That's because that's, uh, from what I gained, that's the question that you're asking. What is the advantage of driving over walking? They'll both get me there. Right, they'll both get me to the store. Right, right. I'm going. I'm going to the store to buy whatever. Right, buy one thing. Right, that I could put in my pocket even. Okay. 
It's either going to take me, it's either going to take me four minutes to get there by car, or it's going to take me 12 minutes or 15 minutes to get there by walking. I'm still going to get there. I'm still going to buy the thing that I wanted to buy, right? I'm still going to have the same exact thing. By the time I get back, same result, other than the fact that one will take eight minutes because four minutes back and forth to drive, and the other is going to take a half an hour. That's it. The end result is the same. So the only difference between using an optimizer and hand building should be because it's faster. That's it. Take a lineup that you want to build. Take a lineup that you want to build and then build it in the optimizer, right? What numbers do I have to put in to get that line? That's it. That's all an optimizer is. That's all you're doing. So when people ask, what settings do you use? I don't even understand why that even matters to you. I don't know what even lineups you're building, right? What lineups are you building? How do you use a tool to build those lineups faster than you would if you did it by hand? I can build 150 line. I can build 150 lineups that are plus EV by hand. I absolutely could do because I I used to do three. I used to do six. I used to do twelve. I used to do twenty. I used to hand. I did. I, I was doing forty lineups. Maybe not in basketball. In baseball, I could. I would. I would hand. I, I would regularly hand build forty to fifty lineups. This is before I touch lineup HTML. And go through okay this is this stack this is there i have the one off there here's my two pictures and then a lot of times i'd use a sheet of paper that i tally things and go to make sure that i'm not using the same people too often right i want to mix certain things together i did that by hand what type of okay this based on the projection and the owner i would look at the projections i would look at the ownership and go okay this makes sense okay this one makes sense okay this one makes sense you know how long it took me to build 50 lineups hour and a half, two hours sometimes. And even when I was building like 10 to 15 lineups, sometimes that would take 45 minutes. If I was, you know, not just slamming through some of them, you know, it would be easier. If it's like, oh, those, these are the types of lineups I want to build. Can I have a tool build them for me? I already know what they should look like, right? I already know what they should look like, right? So how do I get that? Okay. Well, on this slate, I'm playing a lot of that guy and a lot of this guy. And like, okay, and there's a, then what numbers do I have to put in? What, you know, what ownership cap is there? What, but and then and that'll change from slate to slate depending on the lineups that you want to build. That's it. That's all of what an optimizer is. It's a tool to efficiently do something faster than what you could do it by hand. That's it. Don't think of it any other way. Right. If you don't know what you do, I, I always suggest people think I'm nuts because they don't do it because people don't actually want to work. They don't you don't want to get better. Right. You should be hand building for at least two years before you touch an optimizer. At least, at least two full years, full seasons of playing every day. Hand building. Doesn't mean you have to play single entry three max. You can play large field. Just means the different types of lineups that you're building. Right. You can build three lineups for a large field contest. Just build large field contest lineups. Don't, don't build cash lineups. And you can do that. And once you do that for two years, you, you start to instinctually understand positional scarcity. You understand salary ranges. You understand how the things, all things work together. You understand that, oh, well, 
if I'm paying up at point guard, I'm probably paying down, I'm probably paying down a power forward center, right? So is is there a val is there is there a high enough projected guy that I could do that with? Am I am I uh, uh, small forward sucks? So either I'm paying for raw points there, or I'm I'm, or I'm going all the way down. I'm probably I may not be in the middle, thing, right? Depending on a 50k lineup on DraftKings, like those are the types of things that you're doing it every day. So once you understand those types of things, you could go in and you're never stuck in the situation where you're like, why am I getting 46% Javante Green? It's like, well, because you're trying to pay up and you're trying to get 60% of a 10K a point guard and you're trying to get 60% of a 12K center, right? You're trying to play, you know, you're trying to play Giannis and Jokic together on this slate. And you're wondering why, why you're getting, I'm getting, you're, you're basically going to get like 100% Obi talk. If you did that, because you need cheap guys, he's the highest projected cheap guy and he's power forward eligible while you're playing uh, a center and a, and a small forward. Right. So now you don't have to play Javante Green anymore because you don't need to fill the fa- small forward spot, but you probably can't even play RJ Barrett anymore. You have to find some cheap pa- point guard. That lineup will probably have uh, Caruso in it. Right. A Giannis Jokic lineup, if I put Giannis and Jokic, I don't know what this is going to look like. Probably has Toppin. Toppin, maybe Burks. Uh, definitely, probably has Caruso, Moritz Wagner. Something, maybe Nick Batum. Uh, no, those positions. Where's the shooting guard? Okay, we got Caruso at shooting guard. See, look, I'm, I'm just doing it. Like, I didn't press the optimize button, right? All I know is that I need to go cheap as in many spots as possible. So Toppin projects well. Burks fifty six hundred. I'm not even sure if that's going to make it. It's what what we may get a bunch. Let's let's scroll down. Maybe we get Pat Connaughton or no Jericho Sims may be in there. Powerful. We only got one. We got Toppin here, so you still need another another forward. Yeah, I'm interested. Probably maybe no. Probably Moritz Wagner fits there at four K. Right. So you go through this. So now I'm going to press the optimize button. Right, that's going to automatically do it. Right, quickly. Burke, Sims, Wagner, Caruso, Top, and Yo. Yeah, I mean, didn't I just mention all the people that are going to be in there? Right, you couldn't even get to Burks. Right, that's why that. If you notice, when I was going to Burks on fifty six hundred, I'm not sure if you're going to get up there. So this would be the highest projected lineup with uh, median projected lineup with Giannis and Jokic. Right, I didn't tell the, the optimizer didn't tell me to play this lineup. If I want to play lineups like this, I know what they're going to look like. Who's going to show up in them? Right? I'm not going to have Barrett in those lineups. I'm not going to have barely. I'm, I could have Burks if I if I probably go even lower down. Right? I could probably play Burks if I lock in Burks and do that. Right? I end up getting one other guy comes out. I get Mo Wagner in here in the center position, and Sims who who, who left that I don't get anymore. Burks isn't in there. Oh, no, Burks is in there. Okay, no, so I'm able to get Burks. Okay. But if I play, like, I can't play Barrett in this lineup, right? I don't even know if that's possible. You can, but you're playing garbage. You have to play Terrence Ross at 13 points. And your projection would be 18 points below optimal if you did want to do this. But, like, the thought process of what this type of lineup looks like, I did that without, I did it without 
letting the optimizer do it. I know if I'm going to play Giannis Jokic lineups, I'm going to have a lot of topping. I'm going to have a lot. I mean, like, that's the only way that that could happen. Right. So I understand what those lineups look like. Lineups that have neither of them and go balanced. Well, what do those lineups look like? What do those positions look like? And on a four game slate, it's a little bit easier to just eyeball some stuff. So I can just eyeball and see what lineups look like that are high projected and lower owned. You visualize that in your head, you build them by hand. Or you've done that so much that you could just put in, I want 20% of that. I want this like that. I want this like this. Let me see my line. And dude, you don't get it right on the first time. I'm not, I'm not putting in a ton of settings and going, give me 150 and I'm done. Like I said, I typically built 300. So I end up finding lineups that's like, ah, I don't want that one, right? That one's too low projected. This one's too high owned, right? These two people shouldn't be in the same lineup. And I end up having to make a group and having to go rerun lineups, right? Then you go through and you go, oh, well, if I like these lineups, I'm going to be playing 70% OB top. Do I want to do that from a risk, a risk preference? The answer is yes, then I don't mind. The answer is no, then maybe I cap him at 50 and go, can I find other lineups that don't have OB top? So that it's not a press it and you get 150. I may be building, you know, 10 to 20 times and then going through and, and seeing, okay, these, these are the types of lineups that I want. That's it. Uh, let's see. Yeah, DJ Dog says an optimizer is a calculator. Right, exactly. Right, you could, he gives the example that I always say with the taxes. You can't just tell, tell I'm going to tell a calculator, go do my taxes. It's going to look at you and go, what, what, what the hell? You have to type in the numbers. Like the calculator says no. Uh, uh, let's see. Well, Matcher says that DFS strategy has changed. It hasn't changed. It's just that the tools have gotten better. I would, I, 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 I can make better lineups by hand on average. So if I were for tonight's slate, for instance, on the four game slate, if I were, if I were to just do what I used to do when I, four years ago and build six lineups or something, you know, something under 10, right. I'd build all them all by hand, right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even use it up. Why, why don't I need it to build 10 lineups? I'm, I'm going to be much more precise on my hand build. Now, tools like this, I could also run 300 lineups and select 10, right? And I could look through and go, what types of lineups do I want to play? And it's like, okay, I'm going to hand build this type. I'm going to hand build that one. I'm going to hand build this one. But also we have tools where I could just run 300 and probably find the 10 that, I, that, that, that fit exactly what I'm envisioning in my head. And maybe find lineups that I didn't envision. And I'm like, mm, that's, that's interesting. That's an interesting one. That's rejected pretty high. And it's, much lower on than I expected. I think that's a pretty, I, I, you never know. That's why you have to view things by lineups, not by players. So that doesn't change, the, it doesn't change the strategy. Whether you build one lineup or 150, it doesn't matter. The, the expected value of a lineup is independent of other lineups. So I, if I would just tell you, I, get, I, I have a lineup that is, uh, has an expected value of $1.40 which means for every dollar you put in on average and you spend on that lineup, you get 40% on top of it. Let's make, let, let's make it 50% to make it easier. So if, you, if I express an expected value of a lineup as $1.50, 50, 
which I'm not even sure there are any that are that that high. That means if it's a, if it's a twenty dollar entry, you you should expect to make ten dollars per entry on average over the course of the the history of time, infinity times two, right? And most of that equity comes in winning first once, right? I mean, that's most of that EV isn't there. So if I just told you that I have a, I have a, I I have three lineups that I could give you. I'm not going to tell you who the players are. And there's a lineup that's $1.50 expected value, a lineup that's $1.30 expected value, and a dollar and a lineup that's $1.10 expected value. Right? Okay. Well, which one do you want? Well, you obviously want the top one. Right? It, assuming that you have no bankroll issues, right? The, your risk preference is limited, right? It's not like, well, that $15 is the last money that I have in my entire life, right? Then you probably shouldn't be taken. You probably shouldn't be playing at all. Okay. Now here's a question for you. Would you rather have the dollar fifty lineup or two dollar ten lineups? Well, the answer is the dollar fifty lineup. Would you rather have ten of the dollar ten lineups or one of the dollar fifty lineups? You'd rather have one of the dollar fifty. It's still you still want the highest EV lineups regardless. So I'd much rather have less lineups that are higher expected value than have more lineups that are less expected, right? And even worse, negative expected value. That's what a lot of people try to do when they try to build with optimizers, right? You go, oh, oh all the pros do this. I need to use this. And then, then I take a look at their, their, their lineups. I, I, I've done this before. People have sent me their sets, right? Because they, they're like, I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm listening to all your stuff. I'm using the tools. And then I was like, just, what did you play yesterday? You played 150 lineups on whatever, you know, FanDuel, on DraftKings. Give them, just give me the CSV, right? Because a lot of times they're playing in the dime time or they're playing in the lower stakes stuff I can't even see. So I give it to me. Let me see what your lineups are. And I'll take a look and I'll go, yeah, because most of these lineups are, are, are negative expected value. And I'll go, why? It's like, why are you pl- why are you playing lineups, especially in NBA, that are this low owned? This I would look at some lineups towards the bottom that they'd be like forty five points off the top one. I'm like, in, that's like giving away a slot in your lineup. Like you're never going to make up enough relative value for that, right? There's no one that low owned that that can make up for that. So I don't know why you're playing these lineups. And then sometimes I take a look and it's 150 cash lineups. I take a look. I take a look at these lineups and I go. Well, there's my cash lineup. There's someone else's cash lineup, and there's this guy, and it's and it's a unique players one. So they're playing essentially 150 cash lineups, and they're like, "Why am I bleeding 17 percent of my money, or something, or 22 percent of my money?" Like, well, that's the reason you're playing you're playing lineups that for a large field contest are are just too high owned, and then some lineups are too are, are too low projected, and then there are some lineups that. Like, how did you expect two 10K guys on the same team in a large field contest to get there on an 11-game NBA slot? Like, why did, why did you play why did you play Durant and Irving together or something or, or whatever? Anthony Davis and LeBron James or something. Like, on a four-game slate, I could see doing that because you need the raw points. But on an 11-game slate, why didn't you group? You, you have 20 lineups that have a, a negative correlation that probably takes off like four or five points from your ceiling. And you did it, and you didn't even gain any anything from it. You lowered your ceiling projection by five points, and you didn't gain any ownership by doing so. So why are you playing these lineups in comparison to other lineups you could have played? Or sometimes they have some 3% owned guy, 
and they have them in 80% of their lineups. And I'm like, like, well, this is a risky strategy. I mean, yeah, but he, he, it's a 3% guy that should have been 8% owned. It's like, okay, so that, 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 that's good. I understand how he makes plus EV lineups. I get it. I understand that if you play him in 80% of your lineups and he doesn't do well, you lose. I mean, like he doesn't, he doesn't succeed that frequently, right? He succeeds more frequently than his ownership, but still 90% of the time he fails. So if you're fine with taking those swings and jamming that guy into everything, perfectly fine. But then don't, don't come crying to me after a month when, when you've begun minus 90% on a ton of slates. Well, that, that them's the breaks that, that that to me that's not even that's not even a, those aren't even bad lineups it's just that that you're you're 150 set of portfolio you're playing very all of them are high variance lineups like all of them like you you have no you have no room wiggle room it's like i hope you're playing a very small percentage of your bankroll because these are these are good lineups it's just that like they either win or they come in dead dead last right they probably they don't even come close they, they don't they, they don't even have like top 500 finishes as often it's like kind of like either you're in the top 100 or you're 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 in the back of the bus type of thing uh because it's a higher standard deviation lineup so i just take a look and it's like just and and then i uh, and the, the main thing is that i'll ask it's like how'd you how'd you come up with it I, I don't know i don't know right like so how can i help you you don't even know how you made your lineups you didn't even understand like like why did you build i could ask why did you build these lineups over here that are 40 points lower projected the, the answer is typically, well, that's what the optimizer gave. Me. And it's, and it's and typically a user error of, well, because of your, the settings that you put in, like in order to get these percentages of all these things, it needed to give you like these 20 lineups at the back end, right? So it fits all those numbers, but these lineups individually are hard. So it doesn't matter that, oh, I have 28% of the guy. Yeah, but he's in 20 of those lineups. So you really don't have 28% because those lineups are hard, right? So it doesn't matter. So you have to look at lineups individually and then use a tool to create more of them. That's it, right? People think it's, it's oh, what numbers, what settings, whatever. It's not. That's why, like I just said, hand build for two years, right? Uh, I've, I've said that to numerous people. Uh, typically within a month, I get a, a question about, uh, optimizer settings again, because why? Li why listen to me? What do I know? I've only been playing profitably for only uh, almost seven years, and started with hand building, and then went to optimizers. So I'm telling you exactly what it is. <sighs> Anything else before we get the hell out of here? I've done enough scolding for today. Uh, JWH, would you recommend aggregating ownership projections or trying to develop your own model? Aggregating ownership projections is better than having no ownership projections. Always think in terms of that, okay? Think of terms in not is what is the best, is that what is, what, what is needed, right? Do you need a projection model? No, you don't. I mean, you could just, Oh, I think this guy's good. You could. I mean, you're gonna be you're gonna be wrong more times than 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 me, right? That has a projection model, right? That using the roto grinders projections. But when people's like, are are the roto grinders would would it be better to use the roto grinders projections or build your own projections? 
well, how good are you at making projections? Well, I have no experience whatsoever. It's like most likely the road of writing projections is better than what you can do. Right. Doesn't matter. Like, is it the most accurate ever? Like any projection model, any projections in the industry right now are pretty good. Right. The different, if, if you had a choice, if, if they're, don't, don't make any bones about it. I mean, we all know, like, yes, Roto-Grinders. Sign up for Roto-Grinders, yeehaw. But we all know there's a lot of other sites out there that do projections and stuff and ownership and whatever, right? If if you used any of them, any, the worst ones, right? And I, I, I've used them all, right? I know, I know what all of them look like. I know wh- wh- which ones are better than others. But the worst out of the bunch, I would use before I would do my own projections. Okay, the worst projection set in the entire industry is better than what I can do. And I can make models, not very well, but I, I can still, I could, I could do a good enough job, right? So the, the question shouldn't be what projections to use. It should be, I, I better use some type of projections better than doing it myself. Because you're likely not going to do it well yourself, especially if you don't have experience doing so. And what you'll end up finding out a lot of times is that, even if you are experienced doing so, you'll spend a hundred hours to find out that your projections aren't are if they are better, they're only so slightly marginally better than what's currently available. So the question comes down to uh, do you spend all the time every week, every day, every week to maintain your data sources, to maintain your projections, to put in minutes to do all that stuff when at best, you're maybe slightly, maybe slightly better than the Roto-Grinders projections, maybe, if that. And if you're not, then you wasted time completely. So like, how much is that worth? So like from an ownership pers- uh, uh, projection perspective, if you want to aggregate across the entire industry, perfectly fine, do that. If you want to aggregate all the projections across the that perfectly, that's still better than nothing. If you say, well, I I trust these projections over those projections, over these, I trust these people that do these you could do that also. It's perfectly fine. Me personally, I adjust ownership because of my experience playing DFS, right? And I do it directionally accurate for my purposes. So like, I'm not looking to project every player in the player. I'm not. I'm just looking to project the players that are, the, the higher the, the higher their projection and the higher their ownership, the more important I have to get their projection, their ownership, correct, right? So I'll look across the industry. I'll look at all the projections. Now you could aggregate them all together, but I, I, my ownership, my anecdotal ownership projections are better on average for the contest, at least the contest that I play, the large field contests, than than the industry. We've seen that a lot of football, right? especially football, because people, it, it, there are, depending on where you're getting your ownership projections, certain sites over or underestimate the public, okay? I remember there was a slate in NFL where that some value running back opened up like late in the week, like on Saturday or something. And RG, we had him projected owned at like, like 22%. And another site had projected owned of 36% because he was like the value. He was going to be like, obviously you're playing this guy. He's like 4,200, right? I think it was like Justin Jackson or something with Eckler out. 
And it was like on a Saturday when Eckler was ruled out or something like that. And uh, so like one side had 36 and we had 22 and I adjusted it down to 18%. And the guy came in at about, I think he came in at 16 point something percent. So it's like, if you were on one side, it's like, wow, the ownership, you would think that you can't play that guy. He's over-owned, right? Am I going to play one of the chalkies running backs on the slate? And even our ownership was a little too high. And I put it, I put it at 18. Why? Um, if the large field contests, dude, if you, do you see the disparity? Especially the later the news comes, people don't react, right? And it's not like Justin Jackson that slate was like projected for a million points. It's like he was, he was, he was a, he was a good value play, but not a jam it in type of thing. Uh, so it wasn't going to be on podcasts. By the time Saturday comes around, you have tons of general public Joe Schmoes that that aren't building his these types of lineups. And, and even projection wise, like he shows up in optimals, but not all the optimals. So it's, it's not even the type of thing where if the stupid people that are using optimizers wrong are jamming this guy into every lineup. But uh, one of the other sites projected him for like one point higher, which would have turned him into a 90% type of, you know, jamming into all types of lineups. If you're using a tool like that, uh, but there aren't just aren't as many people that do that in NFL compared to NBA or MLB. But I, I know that, right? That's why I judge it. And sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, we, we have a, we have a slate and, and I go, why is Adam Troutman 22% up? Right. Like, you know, like that type of thing. It happens, but more, more, more often than not, I'm going to be more accurate on the players that matter. Right. Am I going to be more accurate on the low end of the spectrum? Probably not. But, but the, the, the course of me building lineups, the difference between a 2% on player and a 4% on player is not, is not dramatic. For my lineup construction, doesn't matter that much, right? The difference between a 7% on player and a 9% on player doesn't matter that much, right? And even if I'm a little bit more off, I have him at 8%, he comes in at 13. Eh, that isn't as big of a mistake as uh, I have him at 22 when he comes in at 48, Right, because now, now, now I like like all my lineups are off. Right, I'm playing a guy that I think is going to be 22 percent owned, as if I he's over he's under owned, and now he turns out to be over owned, and now all my lineups are completely out of whack from a leverage perspective. But that comes from experience. So, like the, that, to me, that is my secret sauce. Right, my secret sauce is is, is ownership, and it, and I can't I can't offer that to anyone. Right. Because I'm not projecting ownership as my ownership doesn't even add up to the right number. Right. It's not math. It's not mathematically precise. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, and, and it's not, it's, it's something that I'm adjusting to even five minutes before lock. Going, well, well, if this guy's out and this guy's in, then I have to bump this guy down four percentage points, up this one six percentage points, move that guy down. But I'm not adjusting the, the like the guys that aren't even, like the guys that don't even make my player pool. I ain't touching those people. They're not in my plan. What do I care what they're on? doesn't matter to me anymore, right? Unless one of those guys end up being a little higher projected and then he ends up making my pool again, right? So that that would be my secret sauce. But I mean, if you're just using an aggregate ownership, that's fine. It's better. You could do it that way. You could use ownership projections from one source or you could do it yourself. Doing it yourself is probably going to be less accurate for you, I'm not talking about me, for, for you, less accurate and more time consuming. So that's like the worst of two worlds. 
Why would you want that? Something that's worse and takes you more time. And if you, let's say you took a ton of time to do your own ownership projections and by the end of it, most of the time on average, your ownership projections are about around what the aggregate ownership is. So now you wasted all that time to get to the same thing that you could have gotten in, in a half a minute by, grabbing, by ga- grabbing a couple of CSVs, right? So that's the difference. It's still better than nothing. That's how you shouldn't be thinking. Should I aggregate or should I not? You should be using ownership projections. End of story. We're making your own. That's it. Uh, this is a long one. JWH, do you place a higher emphasis when tinkering GPP lineups and trying to hone in on individual player ups? And nope, 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 nope. Now, 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 your your question goes. No, comprehensive lineup. Right. I do not care about players. Players don't matter. Lineups do. Okay. The best thing for you to do, even though you know, obviously, I I, I say this on every show or not every show. Get the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. All these questions are in, like, like that, that the reason why I, I become uh, patronizing sometimes. I don't mind the new people. I never mind the new people that are asking questions. Like, you're new to DFS, I get it, right? You haven't had time to watch 300 hours of my shows, right? Or any content around the industry. But it's like literally everything is in here. If you want everything, if you literally want everything, it's 15 hours long and it's $125. And it's at theoryofdfs.com. The questions that I'm asked that I've answered today, if you go back, if you watched from the beginning, you would think that that I was I I, I probably had an aneurysm. Because you if, if you watched all the DFS pregame shows from the, the beginning of last year or whatever, I don't know how many of them there have been 200, 300. You're gonna start, you're gonna start thinking that you're you're watching like you know law and order and you're watching the same episode again. Right, so it's like, like the, the answers are th- like they're there. That the, there's, there's only so many answers. I've answered these questions, like probably on a weekly, weekly to bi-weekly basis. That I answer the same question over and over again. Hopefully, not by the same people. That that that's where I get that. That's where I draw the line. That that's where that's where I start getting annoyed. So if you want those answers, it's much it. Those answers don't exist in two-minute sound bites. Well, what do you do here? Well, you're gonna need to know about 15 hours worth of information first, right? Because everything is combined with everything. Do you consider this? Do you get no? I consider 700 variables. That's how you have to do it in DFS. How do you consider 700 variables in DFS? You know how the human brain can do it? It can't. It can't. There's, there's so many, there's too many variables in DFS for the human brain. You can't do it. No human being can do it. That's why, that's why, that's why we have projection models. That's why it doesn't. Right. Oh, do you, do you consider, uh, do you consider uh, that if uh, the defensive efficiency versus uh, it's already in there, whatever I should consider it as a weight is already in there. It's already in this number. Because I'm not going to be able to weight all those variables in my head. And then when it comes to a lineup is concerned, you have to weigh the difference of, remember those three levels, projection, correlation, leverage, right? Then there's positional scarcity, salary distribution, right? What contest size you're in, what contest size, what the payout structure is, 
A lot of times the payout structure tends to be the same in the, in the large field contest. But depending, is it flatter? Is it, it's, is it only 10% the first versus 30% the first? Those are variables that will affect the expected value of your lineups and what types of lineups you should be making that are profitable. What's the strength of the field? What's the, own, the, the ownership? If, if, you're getting, if you're aggregating ownership projections and then playing like a 200-man contest, what's the purpose? This ownership isn't for those contests. Right, these this ownership projections for the thirty thousand person, this for the large field stuff, right? So, do you have a methodology of now scaling the ownership to those contests? If you don't, well, you better. If you're going to be using some type of mathematical approach like that, right? At least bluntly, right? You still use the same numbers, but now you have to lower the, the raised threshold of your ownership sum or your ownership product or something, right? That's another variable, right? Late swap in NBA, right? Well, there's a 10 o'clock game and there's a LeBron, you know, it's like LeBron is questionable. Or, you know, some star, Giannis, questionable, late game. Well, he's projected for a lot, right? Do you play him? Do you not play him? And if you don't play, if you don't play him, do you, are you playing, are you, are you planning late players so you can play Middleton and Drew and all the Portis, those guys? Well, that's just another variable, Right. There's a probability of that happening or whatever. So it's like, well, do you do that or you don't? Like, there's no yes or no answer. You can, you can, there's 700 variables that go into this. Every, anything that you prioritize, something else comes down. All these levers. There's no way to pull all the, le push all the levers up at once. You're always going to be sacrificing something. <clears throat> do I sacrifice an early value to uh, hope there's a late value in a late game? You could. What's think in terms of not yes or no, think in terms of put a probability. How often does, does Giannis sit and Portis become the best value on the slate? And then determine what's your risk preference for that. Like, oh, if I don't play this guy and I, I, I wait for, wait for whatever, whoever 4k player in the late game, well, if you don't get him, you have swaps available now. Now you now your EV of your lineups are going to go down, right? Because now you're now you're suboptimally swapping because you didn't get that guy, and now the early value guy went up for forty points. Well, you got screwed. Did you make a wrong choice? No. What was the pro you you made a probabilistic choice? Is he pro? What's the chances of that guy sitting, and that the guy that I'm going to play is going to be underowned because people don't have the late swap equity because they've already used earlier players. Well, you have to determine that. Do you do it or not? Well, in one line, well, obviously if you have one lineup, well, you have to determine, it's always going to be 100% of your lineups. But let's say you're playing 10 lineups. Maybe you decide, it's like, oh, I want to make this lineup with all the early value, this lineup with all the late value, this line, they're all plus EV type of lineups. And then if a lineup that's like, oh, this lineup was waiting for late value and there was no late value, then... You don't mind throwing that in the garbage, right? I'm going to late swap into some bench rotation players. My projections are going to go, whoop, and the EV just goes out the window. Maybe, I mean, you could get lucky with those lineups, whatever, and you throw those in the garbage. If that, that's, that's a probabilistic determination of risk that you would have to do. Is there a right answer? No, there isn't a right answer. But if you go, if you go in the late game and you go, I think Jokic is going to sit, right? Like we have this late Denver game, right? Well, he's not even on the injury report. 
right? He's not on the injury report. There's no news, whatever. Be like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave everything open because I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to play Barton and and Monty Morris and just in case Jokic is out. Well, you can do that. That would not be stupid to do. It's not a yes or no answer. But I mean, how often do you do that? Do you just no no injury report, no nothing? That is like if you did that like. 95% of the time, you're going to lose a lot of money because most of the time it doesn't happen. So what are the chances that out of the blue, Jokic sits, right? With not, not even being on the injury report and no news. That you literally, at like nine o'clock at night, get the word Jokic is out. Like just like that. But what percentage of the time? Well, that's about as percentage of the time you should play lineups that are like that. That's it. That's all it is. If they're on, if he's questionable, then you go, oh, do I wait? But now you know that if he's questionable, maybe other people are waiting also, right? So you may not, you may not get Barton low, as low owned as you think. And maybe you do. Like, these are all the variables that you're thinking about of what goes into what lineups that you build, right? There's no yes or no answer. I, I, give, I give very, very simple, uh, very simple determinations of what a good question is in DFS, Okay. The, here's the here's the two and you could use you could use this and it's almost always true okay so when you're thinking about things and you go oh i'm going to ask him this or i'm going to ask someone that's good this if you could answer the question with a yes or a no it's a bad question if you could answer the question with an exact number it's a bad question and then you start going through your questions and go well no that's a yes no question that's a number question that's a yes no question and then Eventually, you'll start thinking probabilistically and you start thinking in terms of variables and not in terms of concrete things, right? That's, that's the shift. That's the number one shift. You have to change, literally change how your brain works, okay? Now, it's easy to do when you come from like, like poker, right? That's why a lot of poker players are good at DFS, right? That's why a lot of finance people are good at DFS, Right, that were in risk management, that did you know wealth management, you know the stock market stuff, and then you also get people that are in computer programming. Right, if you're doing computer programming, there's no such thing as yes, no. There's there's a thousand ways of doing the same thing. Some are more efficient than others, right? And there's no yet. Can it be done? Can it not be done? Anything can be done. It's just how you go about doing it, and is it worth doing? Right, anything, I mean, anything, right? In programming, at least. Can you make it so that this happens and then that happens and then this happens? And yeah, I could do, I could do all of that. Now, if you, if you don't mind the, the website uh, coming to a screeching halt after, after 20 users are on it concurrently. Yeah, sure. I could do it. <laughs> I mean, like, like anything could be done. Just going to be done at scale. Can it be done? You know, like is, is your database going to crash? Is your servers going to go? Do you need, do you need 800 servers in order to do it? Like, yes, anything can be done. Doesn't mean it's effective to do it that way. Right. So if you come from those from games playing, right, if you're a professional sports better, if you're a poker player, you learn how to think in probabilities. You just everything's a probability. Every And everything. What's the variables of those probabilities? Right. You're at the poker table. Right. You're you're, you're deciding what to do. You know, you're on the you're on the river with you sitting there with top two pair or whatever the hell. Right. You're second. You're, you're no, you're you're on the flop. You're on the first three cards. Right. I, for people that don't know poker. And you're deciding what to do. Your opponent bets into you. 
there's a pot size and you go, what do I have? What do I think he has? Right. What range? You're not even thinking of the exact hand. What range of hands based on the betting patterns in the past do you think that he has? Now, any good poker player doesn't put a, doesn't put a player on a hand. They put a player on a range of hands and there's a probability of those ranges of hands. Right. How often does this player have this? 15%. How often does they have this? 20%, right? How often do I make my hand? How often can I approve my hand? How often does my opponent fold if I raise, right? So you're, you're determining all that. Someone, it's a $100 pot and they bet $20, right? So now I'm getting a six to one bet if I call, right? And I'm looking at my hand going, uh, I got nothing, right? And I can't even improve, I can't improve much, right? I got no pair, no nothing, right? So- you know, if I call, what am I calling for, right? Six to one to improve to not to what, right? I'm probably 10 to one to improve. That's something runner runner to beat someone. But maybe my opponent has a weak enough hand that they don't even have a hand that, 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 that they have a hand that's slightly better than mine. That's still a bad hand, right? They, they got, they got nothing. They got better nothing than me, but they got nothing. Well, can I just raise to 60 and take down, right? Can I do that? Right? So I bet 60, right? I raise 40 bucks. And then he folds and I have nothing. So what, what's the probability of that happening? So I have, to, I have to come up with some type of probability. Am I coming up with an exact number? No, of course not, right? You can, if you use solvers and stuff, you can. But I'm not coming up with an exact number. I'm coming up with an about. Like what, what are the ranges of hands that he could have based on the previous actions and the previous hands that he's played, right? That I've seen. And I go, the flop comes uh, seven, three, two. And the uh, guy bets 20 bucks into a, $80 pot. And I go, uh, I, I say more than half the time, half the time, uh, this, 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 my, my, my villain, my opponent has ace king, ace queen, you know, it's a top two, two high cards, right. And not a, not a big pair, right. I go 50% of the time. And he's the type of person that if I raised here with that hand, with the with an ace king hand, uh, will fold 95% of the time, pretty much. So I, I don't, I don't even have to look at my cards at that point, right? If you tell me that, 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 that there's $120 in the pot, right? There's $120 in the pot and I could spend 60 bucks to win that one, 120. So I'm getting two to one. 50% of the time, my opponent has a hand that can't stand, that, that is not much better than mine anyway. Uh, and 95% of the time he folds when I raise. Well, I should raise every time. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, it's positive expected value to do so. Now, if he folds only 60% of the time, now it isn't so much. Now, now I need to look and go, how, do, how the hell do I improve, right? To beat even, a, even an ace-king hand, right? And I have to weigh that probability into my actions. Then I go, well, if I raise here and he calls and then the next card comes out and no one improves or something, like, is this, what, what is his range of hands? If he, if he folds 95% of the time with two high cards, if he called there, most, I'm going to assume based on this fictional opponent that, uh, that about, I would say about, 70% of the time has a lower either top pair 
probably not with a seven if it's a seven on the flop with that type of player, but probably a, a pair of nines, tens, jacks, queens. I'm going to guess something like that, like a pair in his hand, but not aces or kings, right? And Because that type of player, I would say when I raise 40 on his 20 with kings or aces on that flop, I think this guy's much more likely to re-raise with that. And maybe he re-raises 95% of the time, right? Right. So now I know now now I've now uh, for the next card, my next betting round, I've now condensed my probabilities. I've added more probabilities and go, okay, the likelihood of having this. He could also have a set of sevens. He could also be slow playing and then waiting, waiting for me to bet. Right. So if nothing comes out on the next card, if the garbage on on, doesn't matter, he checks and then I go, is he gonna fold a pair of nines here if I bet like a half pot size bet? How often does he do it? He has to do it more than than thirty three percent of the time, right? For a half for a half pot size bet. If I think that, I should do it. So I do that, and then he re raises, and then I fold because, like, what other hand could he have other than something better than one pair? Based on his previous betting actions, I mean, I'm creating some fictional, some fictional person that I'm that I'm profiling, right? But it's all that's poker every hand. Right. So every hand, especially at a like a live table, you're playing 30 hands an hour, something like that. 30, 40 hands an hour. You know, I used to play eight, 10, 12, 16 hours a day, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week for years. Every hand is that every hand is what's the probability of X, Y and Z. How often do I think he does that versus how often there's multiple players in the hand. So it's not like, okay, if I raise that guy, what do I, how often does this guy have a hand? How often does, does he think that I don't have a hand and he tries to bully me out of it? Like you have to think of these nodes. You have to think in terms of nodes. Like if this happens, what's the probability of that? If this happens, what's the probability of that? What, and you don't need exact numbers. You're not thinking your brain's not about 13.7 and then 46.2, you know, you don't have to be that precise just to be directionally accurate. But if you're constantly thinking in those probabilistic methodologies, then DFS becomes a, why do I care about the players? Well, it says here that RJ Barrett scores 44 points half the time. And he scores uh, 58 points uh, at six, well, 58 or more, more than 16, 16% of the time. So what, what, what do I need? What do I need to know basketball for? What I mean, like, it's the same thing as me going, how often do I make a flush here? How often does this guy have a pair of kings on this hand? How often does, does that card kill me with this opponent, right? Did he raise with a uh, six, seven suited and make a straight? And it's getting a little cheeky. How often does that happen? It's not zero, but certain opponents, it may be close to zero. And certain opponents, it could be anything, right? You're playing against a really aggressive, a, a loose aggressive player. And, you know, He's on the button and raises every time they're on the button. It's like the range of hands that he could have is who knows, right? So I can't look at a flop like seven, three, two and go, nope, that missed. Like for that opponent, yes. But for some, you know, the 78 year old guy that plays two hands every six hours, like most likely when that guy raises me on the flop, it, 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 it's that, that my, my, uh, my second pair hand is no good. And, and, and my fold equity is, is limited, right? He's just going to go down the ship with the pocket aces or something, right? Like, like, but that's what it is. So that's what I'm used to. So if you could think like that, 
you, I mean, DFS would be easy. I mean, that's why people that think like that, once you learn, once you learn the concepts to, of DFS and you could translate from poker, like that's what I did. How do I translate all the concepts from poker into DFS? And once you do that, it's like, oh, the, the, it, it almost feels too simple. Just like in poker, it almost feels too simple sometimes. Like what you should you do here based on this? It's like, well, now we have solvers that even solve those those problems for you. But I mean, at live poker, you don't need solvers. There's enough bad players playing live. Okay, so theoryofdfs.com, if you want to pick that up. I think this is the longest pregame show I've done. I, I, it's kind of weird because I, I told Eli beforehand, this may be a short show, right? Because a lot of times I don't expect, you know, that many questions in the chat. I always say, I'll bring you questions. And then every, everyone brings their questions. And, and if you want even more questions, join Roto Grinders Premium. Click on the link in the description at $10 off your first month and join my channel in our Discord. Blender's Game Theory. You could, you could ask these same questions in there and I could type stuff, stuff into you. But we have a Zoom coaching call tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, and obviously, we have Grinders Live later today. Dean, say hello to Dean. So, Dean, it'll be on, what, 4.45 p.m. Eastern? Congratulate Dean uh, to, to tell him, tell him everything. Playing 10% of everyone worked out apparently. Now he only played, he only played a couple of laps. Uh, and check out Grinders Live for the four game slate tonight, crunch time for premium members. And uh, and I'll be back. I don't even think I'm going to be playing tonight's slate, right? Yeah, no, yeah, well, I, maybe eh, before the Zoom call. No, I don't know. I don't know. I may, I may not, but we'll go over it. We'll go over the slate tomorrow. And answer your DFS strategy questions as always, right? Give those thumbs ups on your way out the door on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.